Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. So welcome back to the Defiant Spirit. I'm Baruch Halevi, also known as B, and I am delighted to not only be podcasting um, to you today, but to be doing so with my good friend, who if you're watching, you can see she's in the virtual studio with me. And if you're listening, well, I'll just tell you who I'm with. It's Dr. Elise Cortez. How are you, Dr. Elise? I'm better now. I'm hanging out with you. <laughs> good. Well, it's only been like the second time this week, so um, <laughs> can get enough. let's keep making this a regular occurrence. So if you haven't listened to one of my podcasts with Dr. Elise, um, let me just tell you a little bit about who this amazing woman is. Dr. Elise is a logotherapist, among many other things. And those of you who listen to my show know that logotherapy is the school psychology founded by Dr. Viktor Frankl, meaning-centered psychology, but as we like to talk about it, more meaning-centered living. And Dr. Elise has really specialized in not only just meaning-centered living, but bringing that to the workplace, to our work lives. So she has so many good things going on around meaning and work. If you haven't heard her podcast, Working on Purpose, a tremendous podcast. I think she has 7,000 episodes, so you can binge watch all weekend long um, <laughs> between, you know, like, you know, Sons of Anarchy and all these other things you're binge watching. Make sure Work on Purpose is, is in there. And also make sure you check out her website over at EliseCortez.com where you can see she's done so much. She's got like so many books out there and great work and not only that, now she can add to her resume that she's part of the Victor Frankel Meaning Academy with myself and Dr. Daniel Franz and Dr. Elise. And so we set out to pilot and create this center virtually, but hopefully physically someday of meaning, purpose, and resilience and doing some good work together. And that is my friend, Dr. Elise. All right. And yet, in some ways, none of that has to do with our topic today. It's a, long, it's a long lead up for now let's change gears and let's go in a different direction or maybe not. We'll see where it goes. So I had asked Dr. Elise to come on this podcast, particular podcast, because I wanted to talk about divorce and a particular take on divorce. I wanted to talk about it as it relates to this thesis of Dr. Frankel's and one that is near and dear to my heart. His famous quote sums it up between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our power to choose our response and in our response lies our growth and our happiness. And as we always talk about here in the Meaning Academy and the Divine Spirit, responsibility, the ability to choose our response. And I'm doing a series on this topic and I wanted to sort of see different issues through the lens of responsibility, the ability to respond and nothing and nowhere in our life is it more difficult and more important than to learn how to respond when we're facing a divorce, when we're in a divorce, or when we're on the other side of a divorce, and not having gone through divorce personally, 
my parents divorced, my grandparents divorced, aunts and uncles divorced, my wife's parents divorced. I counsel people through divorce, but nonetheless, I have never personally gone through that particular um, life cycle event. And I know Elise has. So I wanted to bring Elise on for all those reasons that I let off with and because of her personal experience with divorce and also knowing that this is a woman who has really done divorce response ably. So Dr. Elise, where do we go with this? Maybe you just tell us a little bit about your journey and particularly how it relates to this topic. Mm -hmm. Such a fertile topic. It's so, so important. Uh, and I, I know there's so many people struggle with this on, on different different levels. So um, first, let me, I'll share from the, the context. Um, I come from a, a home, a family. My mother was married five times by the time she was 28 and I was in the second grade. Um, and so I got to do the, the tour of all of them. And um, when she when she hit the last one, she hit the jackpot. And uh, it was really something magical. So I came from a family where I understood the idea of, of divorce, et cetera. Uh, I did not get married till I was 35. And uh, that was by design. I, I chose to sort of just wait and tour and live in different parts of the world and pursue my career, et cetera. And, uh, and then I had my, my daughter at, at 38. So um, in my my husband's family, they're all very intact. Everybody's, you know, been together with the same person for like like 50 years kind of thing, sort of thing. So uh, anyway, so we, it was a beautiful thing. And I'm really glad that I'm so grateful that I got the opportunity to be married. Um, I was surprised still when he asked me to marry him. And I think it was late. It was early 1999 for my birthday. I don't know why I was surprised. We were living in a home that we had purchased together, but I was surprised. And I'm so happy that I said yes. So let me start with that. I got this beautiful life. Um, you know, we moved from Seattle to Dallas in 2002. We had our daughter in 2003. And I got that part of life, which is connected and community oriented and family centric. I got to experience that. So let me just start with that. If you want to comment or ask any questions there. Well, that's a great place to start because one of the things I see when counseling people through or on the other side of divorce is an, a natural reaction. And again, our work, I think, in this lifetime is to not give in to the reactions and to defy them by choosing to respond instead. But I understand the natural reaction is to basically invalidate everything, or as they say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I've noticed that that's not how you roll in life, but especially around this topic. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, uh, that's exactly right, B. Um, one of the things I always like to say is um, when I met, so part of the reason I, I married my husband is, is because he's, he's, he's Hispanic. He comes from Costa Rica. And you might remember I lived in Spain and Brazil and I developed this tremendous affinity for the Hispanic culture and the languages. And that was part of my, my draw to him. But then the winning thing was his parents. Um, I knew in a Hispanic family, I was in, I was marrying into the whole family and I loved his parents. And the four of us used to double date and just it was just so fun. In fact, they moved. They followed us from Seattle to Dallas to come when we when we, when we, we chose to make that move. It was beautiful. So I had all of these beautiful years and this this connection with this family and this expansion into their world and way of living that I that really did open me that it, you know, coming from a traditional American family, we are much more closed in the way that we connect and, and express ourselves. And Hispanics really have taught me how to open my communication in my heart. So I got all of that as a contribution to myself. 
And so holding on to that, right, is, was, is, and continues to be important. I know it's easier said than done. I mean, I know you're wired for more of an optimism and a positive worldview. Anybody is listening, and um, at least is an Enneagram 7. She reacts and responds like an Enneagram 7. I don't like telling people that they're a 7. But that is a, that's a naturally enthusiastic and optimistic way to look at the world. Were there times when it was not so easy to do? to not sort of want to set fire to the memories, the past, everything that you went through, or was that not the experience? Oh, yes, this is so good. So let me, let me share, take you further into the journey. So, you know, it wasn't my idea to get a divorce, but it was a good idea and it hurt like a son of a gun. Okay. Um, it just, it was, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was. And, um, it was, it was very painful. It did, it, it occurred for me the way that it felt to make this really real is it felt like I was being put out on the front curb for bulk trash pickup. Mm -hmm. I don't want this anymore. Come get it. And that is really what it felt like. It was very devastating. It was very, very, the rejection was so raw. And I, you know, I would sit in, you know, in the home by myself before I moved out of it crying, you know, for, for, weeks and months of just not understanding what happened, where did this come from, et cetera. And um, so I went through a lot of really, really raw, hard emotions for, for just months. Um, and I remember even just like five or six months into uh, the separation, we had and we'd even been divorced and I was working for another company and I was out on a client site trying to deliver a workshop and I just fell into a pile of tears. The people that I was supposed to be serving were coming to me and, help, you know, reassuring me and comforting me instead of the other way around, which is the way it was supposed to be. So there were a lot of really, really rocky, tender moments in that you do dumb things because you're hurt and make dumb choices and you're definitely not reacting well um, or responding well. So, uh, yeah, and there were times that I, I really, I was angry about the whole thing and, you know, mostly because it wasn't my idea, I think. Um, so yeah, I, to make this a real conversation, I'm happy to go into more of that, but yeah, I mean this, it wasn't always, um, pleasant and now I've been divorced now for seven years. So the gift of time and healing helps a lot. Mm -hmm. And so does that perspective, but yeah, there are definitely some, some icky times in that. Well, that's why, you know, it's so important to have these conversations because it's so easy. Theory is so easy to say, you know. Don't react, learn to respond. However, reaction is coming from a place of primal fear, mm -hmm. right? core fundamental human fears of abandonment and betrayal and exposure mm -hmm. and death on so many levels. And so, you know, divorce is in some ways, I think it's more, I mean, having, um, you know, only guided people through it what I've witnessed is in some ways it's harder than death because most death, unless it's a suicide, isn't a choice, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody leaves you, your spouse leaves you, but you know, because of no fault of their own, they die. There's not that personal piece of it, but the other pieces it's black and white. They're, they're here, they're gone. And what I see with divorce is, there's so many shades of gray. It's not black. It's not white. They're still alive. They're moving on. They're marrying. I'm still tied to them through a daughter. Like, it's just so complicated. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's a lot of nuance to it. That's right. You, I think what you're, what I'm hearing you say when you distinguish death and divorce is, you know, death is black and white and final, and divorce, you know, it has all these shades and nuances and turns and twists, etc., and that go on, and it, they, it lives with you. Um, so in my case, I don't see him at, hardly ever at all, and I don't have really any occasion to to communicate with him either, mm-hmm. um, which is clean. Um, and, you know, he has since remarried. I haven't. Um, so, but the other part of that, though, is that, that I think we also want to be sure in presence in this conversation is what happened when in the divorce process for me, and I think it, it's an opportunity for everyone who goes through it, is the clearing that presented itself for me to step into. Mm-hmm. And that I got to become who more of who I really wanted to become and didn't feel like I could when I was married, not because there was anything that he said or did that prevented it. It was just part of my own structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also got to pursue things like becoming an author and creating this this series of programs for, for organizations that I did, don't think I would have ever really fully pursued in that arrangement of marriage that I was in. Again, not because he it, he, it you know didn't 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 allow it or anything. It just wasn't available for me through who I was. Many things to pull out of that. Um, one is, I, I hate our limited words, you know, that oftentimes we have to describe the experience. So we call it divorce, for instance, just like re- retirement, right? Retirement doesn't really accurately reflect what most people do because they don't withdraw. That's what retire means. Right. They go on to something else. Well, divorce isn't really true either because you already said, yeah, you may have had a clean break in some ways, but you share a daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's I mean, a human being in this world because of that union and you're not divorced. I mean, you're if that's what we, if we mean by that is a legal term, but emotionally, spiritually, there's so many different layers that continue. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, what I like to think of it as be is I and this is something that is just I think I got present to this term back in 2012 when I was doing some uh, postdoc meeting and work in identity research. But the, the term that I feel most applicable for this whole process is unfoldment. Mm-hmm. And this feeling of, you know, there's like you, I have unfolded in this process. I have like, like really in many ways blossomed in this process. Um, and, and part of that is it's the necessary cutting of life that just you it's a it's a catalyzing force i mean you call it the shattering and i really i did experience that shattering where everything that i really thought i knew just fell away and crashed to the floor and in that shattering i got access to other parts of myself that i otherwise couldn't see i didn't know they existed i didn't know how to touch them how to presence them but it was so that that break that breaking was necessary Oh God, I'm like overwhelmed by how many things there are to talk about. But one of them is the shattering. You know, in Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, the primary image of our understanding of God is not parent and child, which is usually how we sort of think of God in religious terms, but it's spouses, husband, you know, traditionally husband and wife. And that union. And when you and when you consummate that, when you come into marriage from a mystical perspective, it's the highest expression in this lifetime of of touching upon divinity. Mm-hmm. And so, un you know, divorce or uncoupling or 
unfolding has a shattering quality. Mm-hmm. I imagine, again, I want to be sensitive, not having gone through it, but I imagine this sort of existential spiritual undoing in some ways that no other experience can have upon us. So my heart really does break and I have nothing but empathy for people going through it, but I see it just how deep, dark and, you know, shattering it can be. Yeah. And two things on that. One is, um, it's interesting. I don't know what the divorce rates are these days, but I I think it's at least, I heard some stat that, you know, it's well over, it is over 50%. And then if a second marriage ends like 65% of the time and a third marriage, like 75% of the time, something like that. So it's interesting to me when you think about how it seems like more frequently that divorce is occurring among the populations and you would start asking yourself, why would that be? And um, so I, I do think that there is probably something about maybe people not valuing, you know, that, that what you're talking about, this longer connective sort of road that is available within the institution of marriage. Um, the other thing that, um, I forgot now what this, the other thing about the shutter that I wanted to say about that, um, well, I guess, well, I know, is, is really, you know, when you think about, I think, I really do believe that there is a, there is a, a relationship between the size of pain or trauma that you go through and the opportunity to grow and develop as a result of it. It's yes. directly related. Yeah. Um, and I used to always say, B, in my life, I used to say, you know, I'm probably never going to amount to too much because I haven't really gone through a lot in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be careful, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I used to say that. And, and I will say that the divorce helped me in that. It gave me something to deal with in life in a way that I hadn't had to deal with something before on a number of levels, financially, professionally, socially um and and it's so and it was so catalyzing and 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 i do think the opportunity you know as you and i have talked about because i am i do exhibit as a seven enthusiast on the enneagram i can be a little light in my approach but because i also feel very deeply like a four individualist i i mean i can i can take on and just descend into the 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 cauldrons of the pain of this thing and i think that is that stewing is really necessary, really important part of the healing and the process of understanding what the experience of divorce is, what's available within it. You have to feel all that stuff. Um, and emotions are energy in motion. Those That energy and those emotions have to go someplace. So stewarding it through your person is so important. So I never want to gloss over that just because on the other side of this is giving me such a fertile place to realize more of my fuller potential that it wasn't incredibly painful for a long time for me to get there. Well, I don't want you or anybody to chalk this up to your four that gave you that capacity. I think that that is part of sort of what draws you to going into the shattering and mining it for meaning. But I want to say, and I heard it earlier in what you were talking about, it's the defiant power of your human spirit, of your, of Elisa's spirit that you said, I'm going to make my stand in this shattering and I'm not going to miss this opportunity to mine it for meaning. I don't want it, right? I don't want when somebody dies, I don't want the suffering. Frankel would say, never go looking for it because that's just masochism and you'll never find meaning. But you don't have to go looking for it, right? Because you'll say to life, I've had it so easy and life will say, okay, Elise, 
right? Okay. And then the shattering comes and then you have a decision, a choice. And what I heard you say many times is, whether it was conscious or unconscious, I'm going to make my defiance stand in this shattering and I'm going to make it yield meaning. That's what I heard. Absolutely be. And the other thing that is really a big part of my messaging and what I stand for is this whole notion of, you know, you have one precious life and you don't know when the exit ramp is coming. So what are you going to do with it? And, you know, both of my parents passed um, 28 days apart in January of 2019. So it became even more, you know, profound for me. You know, this is this thing isn't forever. And let's make the most of it, the best of it. So what that does is it gives me a sense of urgency to fulfill on my own dreams and everything else that I want to become and do and experience in the world. And so it gives me like a, a focus. It gives me, um, well, it, it also gives me a lot of energy and, and, and drive and, and, and I choose my, how I spend my time accordingly. So I, I'm opting into what's allowing me to get where I want to go next. What's the next book I'm writing? What's the next program I want to put on to help people? Um, and I opt away from things that I feel like aren't, going to help get me there or people that are not going to help get me there. Um, so there, there's a real, there is so much agency in this when, when, when we tap it. So let's go back to that moment when you're in your shattering and it's easier said than done to do all this defiant work, um, make your defiant stand, you're back in it. And I, I understand, you know, when somebody's in it, then they're in the fear and they're in the you know, feeling like, um, what was your word that you were on the curb as trash? Put out for bulk, bulk trash pickup. Mm -hmm. right. That's what exactly um, what it felt like. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's when it's totally understandable to, well, uh, another teacher of mine, are you familiar with Edith Eger, E-G-E-R? Mm -mm. She was a Holocaust survivor. She was a student of Frankel's as well. She wrote two books, one called The Gift and one called The Choice. Amazing woman. She's in her nineties now. Anyway, she says, the difference between being a survivor or victim and a survivor is that, you know, we're all victimized in different ways at different times. Ain't none of us getting out of here alive. So we're all victimized, but then we have a choice. And do we remain in that place? And she calls that the victimhood. Do we take up residence in that place, the mm -hmm. victimhood? Or, you know, do we become a survivor? And she says the difference between being a victim and a survivor is a victim says, why me? And a survivor says, now what? Mm -hmm. And I can hear that moment for you of like, I can sit on the curb, justified. I am not saying when somebody chooses to remain on the curb, it's not justified. But the question becomes, you know, where agency, the issue becomes agency. And if you're sitting on the curb waiting either to be picked up by the garbage truck or rescued by somebody or something, right? Then it's a, why me? And I'm, I'm powerless. And what I heard you say is I went into sort of a now what? No question. In fact, B, this is interesting. I, I used to have on my, my desk um, for many years when I was married, um, what will you do with your one precious life? And there were many times when I was still married that I would have to turn that plaque over because I couldn't look at it because I knew I was not living to my fuller potential. I knew I wasn't pursuing what I really wanted to pursue in my life that would make me feel whole and complete and full and expressed and you know that my life and my contribution had been meaningful. So um yeah, so I mean and I so I felt like I had set up my own like prison bars in this thing. So so again, once those 
literally those theoretical or you know invisible bars left because of the marriage um i literally it was like gosh at least you can go anywhere you can do anything and then now my daughter is off to college and i really have a clear clear she's she's on her you know for the, all the intense purposes she's on her own and doing great and um so i have this whole space in my life it's like a it's like a an open empty canvas and that's how it occurs for me is wow what can i do with this what can i make with this and and i do i feel like gosh you know i want to live i want to live abroad again and I, I keep working on my language so that i can I continue to, to do all that and find spaces and opportunities and meet new people for other other other, other ways so Yes, it just, it feels to me, it occurs for me as an invitation, a beckoning. Uh, okay, Cortez, what's happening next? Where are you going next? Hmm. That's a big shift for somebody on the other side of divorce. And I'm, I've likened it to driving, either looking through the windshield or the rearview mirror. Because what I hear you saying, you know, and that's, I guess, as I'm putting it together, what Dr. Eager was saying is why me is the, is the rear view mirror. Now what is the windshield? Where am I going? What's next? What, because what I see happen understandably, but something to stand guard against when you're going through divorce is becoming fixated on the rear view mirror on what was on all that's behind me. And you know, that rear view mirror is a fraction of the size of the windshield. And it's also, you know, it's a good way to get into the next car crash, <laughs> right. driving, looking backwards. Right. And so I can hear that energy, that shift of we've got to take our eyes and attention away from the rear view mirror from the past. We've got to put it through the windshield. Like, where am I going? And I, and I hear that that's key of, you know, your responding to your divorce. Yeah, and I think a key for that, B, which I know you'll appreciate, is um, it's it it is honoring and celebrating the past. So I like to look at what my experience of what it was for me to be married, which was age from age thirty five to fifty one, um, was it it was a chapter in my life, and I look at the events that happened in that chapter, and I'm so grateful I got those things. I love that I got to walk my daughter to and from elementary school all the days that she went to school and she remembers those things. And I love that I got to be the president of Lakewood Service League and the chair of the board of the YMCA. All of those things kind of came with that sort of life. And I was just talking to a friend that, uh, this Tuesday, you know, Thanksgiving used to be a major thing for me. And I would have like a hundred people over for Thanksgiving and it was just this whole communal sort of thing. And those all, all those things got to happen in that chapter of my life. And now I feel like, there's this other whole other chapter about, you know, do you know how long author sat on my on my resolution list before it actually happened? Years. Yeah. So now I have four books out and there's another few that are being written. Okay, so that's all these chapters that are progressing and you know, starting a nonprofit, that was something else. So what I think about is, okay, so that part of my of my life was a chapter in my life. And there were so many good things that happened with and for that. And yet there's all these other great things that I even I'm not even sure yet that I have been able to come up with or imagine yet, or, you know, they, who knows what's what all this could be. So I get really excited by the possibilities. Maybe that's just part of the way that I, I navigate life. But, but I also am a very, I'm, I'm, I'm an ambitious, energetic person. And people who know me say, you know, you're an incredible self-starter. And I am, I mean, I don't need anybody to tell me to tap me on the shoulder to go after these things. 
Um, why? Because I want to realize as much of my person as I possibly can in the precious time that I get on this planet. So crucial that you, you know, you really named what I see people in, especially in the immediate aftermath of a divorce, need to take to heart if you're listening to this. There's nothing more important than to, again, not throw it all away, yes. make it all wrong, turn them mm -hmm. into the other, make them evil. I, I just, I see a powerlessness with that because what you're doing is you're giving away your power. Like, you know, I challenge people going through divorce, hold on to the love. Like mm -hmm. don't throw that away or the, the good memories like you're describing. Don't, you know, don't give that power to your ex to take that from you. Right. Completely agree with that, B. Yeah. And it's just so easy. And it's, look, it's natural. It's natural to say, that's my point, you know, to set it on fire. Fuck it. Mm -hmm. I'm out. You know, you don't deserve. But, you know, Frankel talks about <clears throat> memories are achieved. They're earned. They're real. The, you know, future and dreams are, are speculative. They're maybes. But that, but, but memories, we think of memories as like, oh, it's, it's something gone as opposed to, I'm a guardian of that love, of that memory. And nobody, nobody gets to take that. That's powerful. It is powerful. And, you know, to your point, I, I, I also see this happen all the time where when somebody gets divorced, the other person suddenly becomes like the biggest asshole on the planet. Well, hold on a minute. You were married to that asshole on the planet for a lot of years. <laughs> Wait, what happened to your judgment here? <laughs> you know? So it, it is, it's, it's, so there's, yeah, there is a tendency to, to demonize. And the reason we demonize is because we're still hurt. We haven't worked through things and it's, and that's, so it is a natural part of the process. And, and yet when you can, you can recognize, you know, things, and you say this too, you know, things, there is a beginning, a middle and an end to most everything. And, and that seems to be true for relationships too. And one thing that I've learned so much be, and this has been interesting reflecting on this. I have a, a friend that I run with every Tuesday and he's dealing with an 87 year old father that's really got some health issues and is married. And his wife is like really just happy to send him away to the, to the assisted living so she doesn't have to deal with it anymore. And he's like flabbergasted by this. He's just so undone by this. And I'm like, you know, here's the thing. I mean, there's a really a, not a very fine, not a, not a, not a thick line between love and and some you know and really hate and all these other awful things that happen i mean how often is it when you know we say we love someone and then all of a sudden we you know we we do things that really hurt them or you know the people kill in the name of love or on the other side of love and so i've really come to this understanding of this this through line of love and connection and relationships that populate the fullness of our lives and when you can when you understand that it at least my experience of understanding it the way that I have so far, it it makes it more you're more able to forgive or let go of the person that hurts you on the other side of the love spectrum. Totally. And you know, Elie Wiesel is the one who famously said the opposite of love is not hate or anger, it's indifference. Indifference, exactly. <laughs> because it's energy, you know, anger's energy. Yeah. And people yeah. people act, they'll they'll say and you know, I'm counseling them in divorce, I hate them, I don't feel anything towards them. You can't have both. Right. 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 To, to feel nothing is to feel nothing. And I'm not saying that's the goal. All I'm saying is when you're using that energy, 
you're 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 not using it for something else, right? You're putting it in the rearview mirror. You're can we learn how to take back that energy, back that power, right? To not give it away to anger to them to you know whatever. Can we repurpose it? Can we move forward? And you're an example of somebody who consciously or unconsciously you did this. You took your energy and you repurposed it. Because I can understand, I could understand, and, and people could understand if seven years later you were still talking about how angry you were that it didn't work out. Like nobody would say you're ridiculous for doing that. It would be understandable. I don't think it would be good for you. We wouldn't have those books behind you. Right. But you could have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what I what I'm present to for myself is, you know, how much I've learned from the whole experience. And I think there's that's really a lot of it. You know, if you can look at what what's here for, for me to learn. I mean, I can look at my role and how it, you know, what contributed to the divorce. I mean, I absolutely handily had a role in this whole thing. I contributed to that. And I've learned a lot about myself and who I am and how I faltered and failed in that process. Not to the point where I am saying, I'm saying, oh my gosh, you know, it was, it was all my fault. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I understand how I contributed to it. And now what's been interesting, B, is now in my connections and relationships forward, going forward, they are the beneficiaries of that because I've learned how to be different in relationship because of what I learned from failing at it. And um, I think it makes me a better person. It makes me a, a better um, a better friend. It makes me a better person to be in relationship with. And I'm, I'm more choiceful about that now. So the only way to get to response ability, the ability to choose our response is to take responsibility right? For what's mm -hmm. ours. Right. And that's powerful because otherwise, if somebody says they did this to me, then you're a victim in that marriage and you have no agency, you have no power. Right. But for right. you to go back and say, this was mine, right? That means I'm taking my back, my agency, and I'm going to own that. But, you know, you also said something so important, which is it's also responsibility means taking you know, stock of what's yours, but not taking stock of what's not yours. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that was so important because in the very beginning, B, when it all had gone down, um, you know, it was one of those kind of things where the way it's the way it happened was he had been um, gone for business for three weeks in December of 2015. And within two days of coming back, he, he basically he said, you know, really don't want to be married anymore. And he didn't want to come back to the house, et cetera. And, and um, so there was this whole notion of in the first first few weeks or months, I, I really was like, you know, I really saw that from that perspective, that angle of if this was all my fault, I, I did. I I'm I'm the one because so I'm hearing what he was saying to me and taking it in like this is all my fault. I caused this to happen. And, and that is not productive. Mm -hmm. um, it was a necessary part of my process. Um, and I, I obviously have come around to the other side where I can see how both of us contributed to this. Um, but yes, I mean, there is an agency if you, you know, if you just like, oh, if I hadn't done this, I, we'd still be together or whatever. Well, I actually am pretty happy that we're not together um, because of who I get to be when I'm not in that relationship. But yeah, I did go through a period where, I mean, I mean, I beat myself up and down one side of the other, man, bloody to the core here of what I did wrong and, and what I contributed to that. And it wasn't productive.
that is the Enneagram four right there, right? Is um, is is taking on that on, and you know, my work with fours. I have a son who's a four. Ariel is a four, and I have a few clients who are fours. Is to not get them to own what's not theirs. This is the work of that four because they they naturally go to sort of a masochistic. I call it emotional cutting place. Mm-hmm, yeah, and and so not you know, and I, and what I always t- talk to them about is it's it's irresponsible to take responsibility for what's not yours. Yes. And, yes. and that's that's what I can hear somebody like you has had to do is owning what's mine is easy, but you know, not owning what's not mine is not easy. And so I can tell you've done a lot of work around that. And that people listening, it's just so important. And it's a dance. It's not like easy, clear lines between what's mine and what's not mine, but this is the work. Yeah. Right? This is the work of growth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that inspired me to do this podcast and then reach out to you was I'm working with a couple right now who's doing what you might call conscious unfoldment, right? Mm. Or conscious divorcing because they they wanted to see if they could do this in the most loving, respectful way possible to get to this place where you're at. And I just think it gives me so much hope in working with them and I hope they listen to this and other people listen to this to know that even if you don't go through a conscious divorce, you know, because lots of divorces by definition are unconscious, there's mm-hmm. hope. And if you do go through a conscious divorce, probably even easier to get to this place where you are, Dr. Elise. Mm. Well, I have a lot of respect and um, admiration um, for the couple you're talking about. I That would be wonderful to start to see that wave happen. Um, you know, there is obviously the you know, mediated divorce, et cetera, but, but that sounds much more, you know, especially if you, I guess that's the opportunity. If you both come at it together and what happens invariably though, is it's usually one party who wants the divorce it's, and the other one doesn't, or doesn't want it that way. And so if you can get to the place where, okay, we're doing this, we're, we're going to go separate, it's going to happen. And we do it in a way that is loving and to set each of them free. That would be incredible to witness or to help make happen that would be amazing you know that's why i do call it responsible divorce the ability to choose our response whether or not we have a partner who wants to consciously unfold i like your word um, or whether it's a horrific scenario um, this is all about taking back our power and all we can ever control is our response. And you are just such a great example for people who are facing it, considering it, in it, on the other side of it, that there is no such thing as divorce. There's your approach to your life. And this your respective divorce is like nobody else's that ever was, is, or will be. So, you know, this isn't to say that Dr. Elise's um, template can be just laid over your life because that's not how it works but drawing inspiration from the fact that there are people who have gone through it and are on the other side of it and are as response able as you is is really truly inspiring so thank you for opening your heart and making this time and sharing with my audience very welcome be it's such an important thing to talk about and it's taboo for a lot of people so i appreciate that you're making it relevant accessible and real Elise, I live to talk about the taboo stuff. I'm an Enneagram 8, right? I That's know, I know. You do it so well. I used to call myself an elephant 
hunter before it was not PC to say that, you know, the elephant in the room. Let's like, let's get into it, right? I know, so now, yeah. So now I'm an elephant whisperer. But anyways, we're, <laughs> we're going to keep whispering about the tough and the difficult topics here. And I can't wait to have you back on my podcast for a thousand other reasons. So, mm, thanks, B. You're thanks. a gift to the world. And anybody listening, jump over to Elisa's website, Elise. Uh, a-L-I-S-E-Cortez.com. You can learn more about her. You can also go to TheMeaningAcademy.com where you'll also find some information about her and a link to her website. So stay tuned. We got some good stuff hopefully coming up in the new year. Dr. Elise, myself, and Dr. Dan are mapping out what it might be to go on a journey with the three of us called Your Search for Meaning inspired by, of course, our shared love of our teacher, Dr. Viktor Frankl, and his book, Man's Search for Meaning. So stay tuned for that and more. And until the next time, live with purpose, meaning, and resilience. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thanks, Elise. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. To learn more about the Defiant Spirit and get more inspirational content or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit DefiantSpirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant Spirit.